Ben. Good to be with you tonight. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to turn back to Isaiah uh, 55. It's on page 675, an, an amazing uh, reading from Isaiah. We're working right through Isaiah. Uh, we are looking at uh, the God who, or trust the God who. If you just joined us, we're, we're trusting the God who reigns. We're trusting the God who comforts. We're trusting the God who restores. We're trusting the God who, who is our substitute, who saves. And tonight we are trusting the God who invites. It's a beautiful word to invite. And I want to ask you, have you ever received an invitation that you thought was too good to be true? Have you ever received an invitation that is so unbelievably generous and kind and amazing? You're thinking... There's got to be some catch. Uh, it's about 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, I received an invitation uh, to spend three weeks in the Loire Valley in France, all expenses paid, uh, food, wine, and accommodation uh, to an international maths conference. <laughs> and I went. Three weeks, food, wine, amazing scenery, and I, I just put up with the maths bit. <laughs> what was the kind of invitation you think is just too good to be true? See, often with invitations, there's kind of, a, kind of a catch, isn't there? Some kind of small print where if you read the fine details, there's always a catch. I, I'm a kind of an advertiser's dream, you know. I'm the kind of guy who... See those, you know those leaflets you get in the, in the, uh, the free newspapers offering you something? I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I remember two years ago, I um, got this, this, this thing through the post where I, I could get $500 worth of fine wine for 80 bucks. 12 bottles of wine for 80 bucks. So that's amazing. So I ordered the wine and amazing wine came. I hadn't read the small print that say for the next two years they would, they would take out $50 a month for my credit card. There's often a, a fine print or a catch. You've got to read the small print, you know. And sometimes invitations or offers, they only last for a short period of time. It's kind of a use-by date. So I'm going to Darwin this year to speak, and Naomi's came, in, came and said, oh, flights to Darwin are on offer, so I go online. But oh no, they've all gone. Uh, I think that the biggest regret of an offer that I didn't take, someone's offered me two Three tickets to a Spice Girls concert. (laughs) But by the time I said, yes, too late, tickets are gone. And I'm here tonight to talk about an invitation that God makes to you. And there's no catch. And there's no sort of small print. God just says, I'm going to give you an unbelievable incredible, gracious offer that you you can't contribute to it, you can't pay for it, you can't earn it. I just want to invite you to come and spend time with me. It's an amazing offer, isn't it? It's an amazing offer. Isaiah 55 is written to God's people. Uh, and God's people have been warned that they're going to go into exile into a place called Babylon. Uh, they've really stuffed it up. You know, they've, they've been a faithless people. They've doubted. They've disobeyed. They've denied God. And, and sure enough, they went into exile in Babylon. 
And we saw in Isaiah 53 that God had promised he would send this suffering servant who would be pierced and crushed and he'd be struck for the sake of his people. And God has promised that through this servant he would restore his people back to the land. But Isaiah 55 is less about the servant and more about the people and what God is offering his people. Isaiah 55 is more about the God who, who invites, the God who makes the invitation. You know when you get an invitation, you, you kind of, it, it reveals something about the inviter, doesn't it? It's like when you get an invitation to a wedding. You think, oh, that, that person wants me to be there. Wow. Or, or when someone invites you to dinner, you think, I don't really know you, but that's really kind. You want to spend time with me. And I'm here to say right up front that, that our God is an inviting God. He longs to have us spend time with him. He wants us to enjoy his presence. He, he wants us in his company. Doesn't that blow your mind? Here's the invitation, simple invitation. God has come. You see that word in, in verse 1? Come, says God, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. Uh, you without money, you can't pay for it, come. Buy and eat, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Pretty obvious, isn't it? God is saying to us, come. Uh, that word come means to, to enter someone's space or to enter someone's presence or to approach someone. And God himself is speaking. He says to his people, I want you to come. I want you. What struck me this week is, is it's a, a lavish invitation. You see, God says that if you're thirsty tonight, then he will refresh you with, with waters that you can't pay for. It's a beautiful picture that you know, when you're, you're thirsty, hot summer's day, and your mouth is dry and you're parched, and you, and you, you grab the water from the fridge, the ice-cold water, and you just gulp it down, it kind of, it just soothes you and it refreshes you. That's what God is offering. He's offering to quench your thirst. But then it struck me that God doesn't just offer us water, does he? What else does God offer in verse 1? He says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. As God is saying, I'm not, I'm not just going to give you water, I'm going to give you milk, I'm going to give you wine as well. We need milk because you, know, you give babies milk because they need to grow and be strengthened. And, but why do you need wine? We don't need wine, do we? But God gives us wine. It's kind of this picture of luxury and lavishness because that's the kind of God who invites us. He doesn't just say, I'll give you bread and water. He says, I'll give you caviar, I'll give you wine. It's there in verse 2. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good or literally top quality and you will enjoy the choicest of food, the best of the best. It's like a, a degustation meal. He says, come. That's the invitation from God. God does not say, come to me and your life will be dull and boring and mundane. God says, come to me and I will satisfy you 
and your soul will be refreshed and you'll enjoy this lavish, fine feast. It's lavish, isn't it? And it's free. Do you spot that in verse 1? God says to his people, you without money, you can't buy this. But come, buy and eat. How does that work? Verse 1 again, come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. And the picture of verse 1 is the, the, the marketplace, the stallholders. If you've been here this morning, the Kivali markets were on. and you could, go, you could go over to the markets and you could look at what's on offer. And do you know how the storeholders kind of tempt you with their little samples? But they don't just give you stuff, do they? What would happen if you went to the market this morning and you just took stuff off their, off their stalls? they say, come on, pay for this. But imagine you went over to the markets this morning and the, the storeholder said to you, just take whatever you want. How does that work? He said, well, it's my stuff and so I've... I'm just giving to you free of charge. That's what God is saying to us. God is saying to us, you, you can't buy it. You can't pay for it. I'm just giving it to you. I remember being in a restaurant in, in Washington, D.C. It was a beautiful meal. And you know when you, you go to pay the bill? And somebody else in the restaurant had paid the bill for us. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. When was the last time you went to a, a, a wedding reception and you enjoyed a three-course meal with wine and at the end of the night they gave you the bill? It's not how it works, is it? Somebody else is paying for your meal, aren't they? That's what God is doing. He's saying, I'm going to pay for you. See the word in verse 7? It's an important word. The last words of verse 7. To our God and he will freely forgive You know, we can't pay for forgiveness. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't do stuff. But God freely forgives us, doesn't he? What does forgiveness cost you? It costs you nothing. But it cost God everything, didn't it? Remember Isaiah 53? He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquity. And the punishment that brought you peace was on him. That's free forgiveness, isn't it? So this invitation is lavish, it is free, it is satisfying. That quote from Augustine, that our, our, our hearts or our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. That's what Isaiah 55 is saying, that God is going to satisfy your restless soul, he's going to quench your thirst, he's going to deal with your hunger. And that's why verse 2 is so confronting. It's kind of an ouch verse. God looks at his people and says, why do you spend money on what is not food? And why do you spend your wages on what does not satisfy? He says, why are you wasting your time and your money trying to get this temporary thrill and chasing some meaning and identity and satisfaction that, that, that is not for me? And it's an ouch verse because if we're honest, we all do it all the time. We all chase after all this stuff that we think will satisfy, but never does. You know, move to a new city or get a new job or move to a new house or buy a new car or 
get a new look or a new bike or a new hobby or a new career. We always think there's a pot at the end of the rainbow. There never is. But Jesus says, or God says, I will satisfy you if you just come to me. That's why I love the uh, Samaritan woman that Anna read about from John chapter 4. She's an example or a picture of a woman with a restless soul who has spent her whole life trying to find meaning and identity and satisfaction in relationships. She's had five husbands. And the man she was now now is not her husband. It's almost like she spent her whole life thinking, this is the man who will give me meaning and purpose in life. But he never did. She was empty. And so when Jesus says, I'll give you water that will satisfy you and will never dry up again, she says, give me this water. I'd love that, she says. And that's what Jesus says to us, isn't it? Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will satisfy your soul. So I need to ask you, do you believe that about God? Do you believe when God says, come, he really will satisfy you? Do, Do you believe that your identity and your purpose and your meaning and your security and your joy and your hope and your peace will be fully met by God himself. Or we'd keep on doing verse 2 and spending our money and wages on stuff that does not satisfy. So the invitation is, is free, it's lavish, it's satisfying, it's personal. There's a shift in verse 3, isn't there? God's been talking about buying stuff and coming to a feast, but then in verse 3 he says, come to me. He says, pay attention, church, and come to me personally. Listen to me so that you will live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The promise is assured to David. He's referring back to the Davidic covenant where God has said he would dwell with his people. And I love that. God God is not saying come to an event or come to an institution. He's saying, come to me. It's It's almost like, God hand-delivers the invitation to you. And when you arrive at the feast, he's there to embrace you and to welcome you. And you know when you go to weddings, you actually never see the bride and groom or or dare he. But it's almost like God is saying, I'm going to sit next to you and feast with you and I'll leave with you and I'll never never leave you. If you come to me, you can trust that I will dwell with you for all eternity. Uh, that, that kind of invitation reminds me of my, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, yet, yet I'm always with you, and you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the portion of my heart forever. So God personally invites us to come to him for satisfaction and no one's excluded it's universal see that in verse 1 if if you're thirsty you're welcome if you're broken you're welcome or down to verse 5 this would have shocked God's people he says you're you're summon a nation you do not know and, and nations Gentiles who do not know you will run to you 
And that would have shocked God's people because they thought that, that they were invited, but nobody else was. And God kind of says to his people, you know, those, those Assyrians, they're invited as well, and the Egyptians are invited, and the Babylonians are invited, and, and all these Gentile people that you think are not invited, they're all invited. And I love that about the gospel, that, you know, that it's, it's open to all people. You could be here tonight, and you could be an ex-terrorist, and you're invited, and you could be here tonight, and you, you've led this upright life on the upper North Shore, and you're also invited, and there's no distinction it's at the shock of verse 5. Who's the you in verse 5? Look at the verse 4. I, says God, I've made him, David, a witness to the people. So that you, that is the people who accepted the invitation, will be like a light to the nations. And that's the way that God works, isn't it? Is that, is that the people who accepted the invitation are kind of like holding out the truth of that invitation to, to other people to come. It always works like that, doesn't it? When, when, you, when you've had an amazing meal, like you, you say to people, you, you've got to go to that restaurant. It's incredible. When, you, when you've been to an amazing concert, you've got, you've got to hear that band. They're amazing. And when you've accepted this amazing invitation, we're supposed to say to people, you've got to go to God. This invitation is so extraordinary. And the thing about this invitation is it's guaranteed. Because verse 11 tells us that the, the word that comes from God's mouth will not return to him empty. So when God invites, people will respond. When God promises to deliver his people, he will deliver us. And when he promises to forgive us, he will forgive us. So I want to ask you, have you, have you heard God's invitation? You heard God saying to you, come, come. Come and I will satisfy you. What's the response? If the, if the invitation is come, the response is the word seek. Simple word, seek. Uh, one thing that I've discovered about Australians is that they are really bad at responding to things. They get an invitation, you always respond at the last moment. What, what, what does God say down in verse 6? It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Isaiah is not saying that God is playing kind of hide and seek with you. What he means is when you hear the word of God, when God himself invites, we're supposed to respond. What's the response we're looking for? Verse 6, call to God while he is near. I love the fact that he doesn't say pray. I think if he said pray to God while he's near, you and I would kind of think, oh, well, I need to get my theology right before I pray or say the right words to make sure he hears my prayers. He just says call to God. It's a simple word, call, isn't it? Anyone can call. You don't need a degree to call, do you? We call a waiter, we call a friend, we call for help. And we're just supposed to call out to God. Now, when, when we hear his invitation to come, we're supposed to say, yes, thank you, God. Or, oh, God, help me. Or, oh, God, if you really are inviting me, please show me more clearly. We're to call out to God, and then verse 7, we're to repent. That word just means to turn away from the wrong things and to start living the right way. It's almost like God is saying in verse 7, 
Now, if you're going to come to this, the feast, you've got to leave all this stuff behind which does not fit in with me. You've got to leave all the stuff of this world that you're flirting with or you're, you're finding your satisfaction in. Leave it behind and then come to the feast. Verse 7, let, let, let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. He's saying, stop. Don't dabble with all that stuff. Don't flirt with that stuff. Time for a clean break when you come to the feast. I love what John Piper said. He says this. You cannot seek God and practice sin at the same time. You cannot seek God and plan to sin at the same time. And you cannot seek God where God is not found. And where he is not found is in the sin pit. Now, forgive me if this illustration is insensitive. It's a bit like uh, that the man who leaves his wife, walks out of the marital home, has, has numerous sexual affairs, and then one day has decided to call up his wife again and says, hey, babe, I want to come home. Now, the wife is going to say, of course you can come home. Let me just check. Like, you've stopped all those affairs, haven't you? Now, if the husband says, oh, no, 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 I want to come home, but I also want to keep dabbling with all the other affairs, then the wife has every right to say, well, you're not really seeking me. And we can't say that we are seeking God if we continue to dabble and flirt with all the ways of the world and and seeking our satisfaction in, in other stuff. So I want to ask you directly tonight, what are the the ways and the, the thoughts that you need to get rid of. What's stopping you from really seeking God wholeheartedly? Comfortableness? Greed? Ego? Lust? Bitterness? Revenge? Anger? Self-pity? Isaiah says, get rid of them and then return to the Lord. I love what verses 8 and 9 say. Famous verses, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we love those verses. We, we often rip them out of context and, and we kind of say, well, that's right, you know, there's, there's things that happen in life, circumstances that we don't understand, but that's okay because God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Now, that is true, but that's not what these verses are saying. Listen to the flow from verse 7. See if you can spot it. Verse 7. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways, says God. Verse 8, verse 9, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. See the flow? He's saying, you know, your thoughts that you need to abandon and your ways that you need to get rid of, they're, they're kind of like down here, but, but God's thoughts are up here and God's ways are up here. And just when you think that, that you're okay and you can reach God, God, God kind of goes, you know, the gap between what you think and what you do and what I think and what I do is so gigantic. It's like this grand canyon between you and God. 
And so we're supposed to say, you know, how on earth can I come to this feast? How can I come to God when his ways are so different from my ways? You ever thought that? You ever grasped that, that, that actually you can't just waltz into his presence? And we're supposed to just recognize the need for verse 7, that we need his free forgiveness. And I love what Jesus said. He said, I haven't come to heal the healthy. I've come to heal the sick. And again, that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That, that we're all sick. That we're all sinners in need of a savior. And the promise in verse 7 is that he will freely forgive you. See that word will? He promises to pardon you, not punish you. You might be here tonight and you think, you know, there's no way I could come to God. There's no way I can come to the feast because I'm so wretched, I'm so bad. Yep, join the club. So am I. And you might be here tonight thinking, you know what? I think I will come to God, but I'll also keep on dabbling with all this stuff that I think will satisfy me. And God says, no, you won't. Leave it behind, just come to me wholeheartedly. So that's the invitation, the word come. All God wants us to do is to seek him. And then thirdly tonight, let's celebrate, shall we? This picture is a, is a picture of, of a celebration. See that down in verse 12? You, you go out with joy and you'll be peacefully guided and the, the mountains and hills will, will break into singing and the trees and the fields will clap their hand. And this is this word picture of all of creation rejoicing. Because that's what happens. That's what happens when you've come out of a terrible situation, isn't it? Here's pictures of VE Day in Europe, the end, end of World War II. And, and see the, the people, what are they doing? They are dancing and they are cheering and they are celebrating because for five long Years, life has been miserable. But on VE Day, there's no bombs going off, there's just fireworks. And on VE Day, there's no sound of the air sirens, it's just singing and rejoicing. And that's the picture that God promises. When this world is done, when the messing of groaning and pain in this world is over, what's the promise in verse 12? You the people who have accepted the invitation will go out with joy, not despair. And no conflict, verse 12, but peace. And creation won't be groaning. Creation will be singing. And verse 13, instead of the thorn bush and the, the briar, that is a picture of the cursed land, there'll be a cypress and a myrtle. That's a picture of strength and beauty and fruitfulness and usefulness. And we're supposed to read verses 12 and 13 as though, as though God is giving his people in, in Babylon this kind of a, a YouTube clip, just a little glimpse of how good life is going to be in the future. It's like God is saying to us tonight, here's just a, just a little glimpse of how good life is going to be in the future. And it may not be your experience now, but you've got to believe that God's word is true and he will bring it to bear. Do you know how the Bible ends? Revelation 22. 
Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, Come. Anyone who hears should say, Come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. And I love that. Right through the Bible, right from Genesis 1 to Isaiah 55 to Revelation 22, God is saying to us, just come. Just come to me. So three simple words. Come, seek, and celebrate. I want to just finish with one quick thing. And as I do, I'll invite the musicians to come forward. It would be remiss of me to say that there is actually a deadline. See that in verse 6? Seek the Lord while he may be found and call to him while he is near. As I said before, God is not playing hide and seek, but what he is saying is there's a kind of a, a window of opportunity, if you want, where you hear God's voice and you hear God's invitation. He says, don't, don't ignore it. Don't put it to one side. Just come today. Now, I think back to my university days, almost 30 years ago, and the number of people that I'd invited to church, and they sat where you sit now, and they, they hear a clear talk about Jesus, and they hear an invitation from God to say, just come. And time and again, they say, oh, oh I'll think about God after university when I graduate, but they, but they never did. Or I think about God, you know, when I've got my good job and my nice house, and then I'll think about God again, but they never did. Or I'll think about God, you know, when I get older, and then I'll think about God and prepare for my death, but they don't, do they? And so I want to be quite bold tonight and say that if you're here tonight, you have heard the invitation from God to say, come. You've heard God's word tonight saying, come to me. So please don't just walk out of this door tonight and just say, I'll think about that later. Call on him tonight while he is near. Call on him now while he may be found. Maybe you're here tonight and you want to do it for the very first time. I'd love you to do that. Just to say, just call out and say, yes, God, thank you Jesus died for me. Thank you you invited me. Thank you, thank you. Simple as that. But if, like me, you accept the invitation, what, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the Christian life is that daily seeking God, isn't it? Every day God says, come, come, come to me today. And every day we call on him, we seek him. So the song we're going to sing is called Come As You Are. And it's really an invitation that whoever you are tonight, whatever your background, whatever your baggage, God invites you to come. So why don't you stand and we're going to sing together.